Uh, well, it was wide, like, you know. I don't know how many thousand people were, <laughs> were here. I'd say every one of them thought it was wide except the umpire. But anyway, sure, look, that's what happens when you, you know, when you weigh grounds, you don't tend to get breaks. Subscribe to the OTBGAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. Wednesday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Yeah, it's Wednesday Night Rugby and there's only one place, one thing to talk about this week really. It is the Six Nations, it is around the corner. We're going to go through Ireland, Wales and all the teams really. I'm delighted to be joined by Keen Tracy, the Irish Independent and by uh, former Leinster and Ulster coach Maddie Williams. How are you, lads? All good. Hey mate, thanks mate. Um, lads, just before, I want to start with how Monday Night Rugby ended actually. Gordon Darcy was on with Adrian and he just, as we were out of time kind of talked about the possibility of an Ireland Grand Slam keen and was like, I really hope we don't win the Grand Slam this year. Uh, you know, we want to be able to see how teams can pick us apart for the bigger games to come. And I just immediately was thinking to myself, like, where are we with this tournament? I suppose, you know, is it is this the competitive warm-up or is this a tournament in itself where a Grand Slam is a possibility for Ireland and we don't win too many of them? Well, I don't think you want to go down the Eddie Jones kind of route of devaluing the Six Nations, which is really what he did over the last few years, and it might have ended up costing him his job. Look, Ireland are never going to take a Six Nations lightly, and nor should they. And, you know, we do, and I'm guilty of it as the next person getting obsessed with World Cups, and I suppose there's a reason why, because Ireland have never been past the quarterfinal, but... Like we saw it in 2019 what can happen when you lose momentum like the whole thing fell to pot so um, I don't think necessarily if Ireland won the Grand Slam doesn't mean that they're going to get to a World Cup semi-final nor do, does it mean that now a disastrous Six Nations I think is different but if they didn't win the Six Nations but actually played well and lost to let's say hypothetically a very good French team that doesn't mean that the World Cup will go to pot either so um I don't think we'll see like a huge amount of experimentation. I think no. we've seen that from the squad that Andy Farrell has picked. I think you, you'll see, you know, a guy like Jamie Osborne might get his debut potentially against Italy. You know, Tom Stewart has come in. He he could be worth a look as well, depending on Ronan Kelleher's injury. But the squad has a very settled feel to it. The Six Nations squad. And I would say, you know, it's a 33-man World Cup squad is going to be picked in, in August or whatever it is. And I would say, injury permitting, Andy Farrell probably has 30, if not 31 of those players picked already. Now, there's still scope for a bolter like J- Jamie Osborne mm. um, could be. But I think it's about, you know, fine tuning from an Irish point of view. You look at what England and Wales are doing and they're very much at the opposite end of the scale. So um, I think we saw enough in November that teams were starting to figure out Ireland a little bit. Like you can't say that Ireland, they were outstanding in the second and third test in New Zealand last summer. But I don't think you could say in November that they went to another level or anything so I think that's enough to keep everyone's kind of feet on the ground and kind of you know not get complacent at all which maybe perhaps there was a tinge of that in 2019 Yeah keep them honest Matt in fairness to Gordon for people who didn't hear it it wasn't about kind of like experimenting or, or like not taking the Six Nations seriously but I suppose it's more from a coach's point of view from your point of view you know as a coach looking in at it there is a value to sort of seeing us being figured out in some way by some coach early rather than in the first uh, you know in the pool stages of the World Cup if that was to be the case yeah look I, I think the reality is Australia had Ireland figured out they, they should have beaten Australia yeah. uh, Ireland for sure um, you know in Australia are ranked what seventh I, I don't think there's anything the, the beauty of where we are with in the world is there's nothing between the top eight teams and last season proved that you know Australia 
came within an inch of beating France and Ireland, who are one or two in the world. Uh, they beat South Africa, and they should have beaten New Zealand. But they're ranked, I, I can't remember exactly, seven or eight. Let's put it, but they're not in the top top six. So, and I'm not saying that because I'm Australian. I'm using it as an example. What, what Ireland ha, have got to find out is they've got to find a way to be resilient and to keep developing and keep growing. And I think they did that in November. They didn't attack with the same brilliant fluency they did in New Zealand, but they found a way. And and that's what you've got to do at World Cups. If you look at uh, uh, the, the history of World Cups, teams that make the final, there are one or two games along the way where they struggle. Um, Australia, you know, almost lost to Samoa in 91. France did uh, almost, or did, they, did they lose to Tonga or draw with Tonga in, in uh, when they, they made the final in New Zealand? There is a game somewhere along the way that you're going to struggle in a World Cup. So... I, I don't. I just don't subscribe to this thing that you, you know it's the Six Nations or the World Cup. You yeah. want to be competitive. You want to be competitive. England won the World Cup, uh, won the Six Nations and the World Cup in, in 2003. They went at it. It's a habit of winning. It's fighting. It's going. And if you lose a game, and I agree with Kenneth, the, the, the game of the tournament to me is France Ireland on uh, Saturday week. And I think whoever wins that will win the tournament. If Ireland lose that game, that is not the end of the world. Mm. That, it, that is not the end of the world. But uh, they are not mutually uh, unexclusive. Now, in the past, Ireland has not prepared well for World Cups. And I've seen this, you know, I've been there for 20 years and I watched it before I even got there. They, they didn't prepare well. Andy Farrell has prepared exceptionally well for this World Cup in over that the last 12 months. The number of players he's given opportunity to, the way he's put time and effort into the A teams and the developing teams has been exceptional. And he is reaping those benefits. And this it now, from, from Saturday on, this is about elite high-performance competition week in, week out. And, and Andy Farrell and Ireland are in a good place. That guarantees nothing. But I tell you what, they're in a lot better place now than Ireland were in 2019. Yeah, because 2019, Keen, it's like, you know, to, that wasn't the Six Nations not taken seriously, but it's when the wheels came off. I suppose we weren't to know that until we played England that day, but there's no sense that the Ireland team kind of reached its peak last year in the way that it probably did in 2018. Yeah, like if you remember back um, coming into that 2019 Six Nations, Ireland beat the All Blacks in November. So yeah. you were still riding the crest of the wave of the, off the back of a Grand Slam, the the tour down in Australia as well. So there was a lot of things. That's why I mean Ireland got a little bit of a wake up call. And that might be a little bit strong in November. But like Matt said, they still found a way to, to get the job done in all three games. And that's not a bad place to be. And look... When you're number one ranked team in the world and, you know, the rankings are a bit of a mess anyway, yeah. I don't think anyone should really pay too much attention to that. Um, but, like, you'd have to say, like, Ireland's attack is definitely one of the most fluid, if not the best in the world. And what happens when when that's the case is that opposition coaches are studying you to the absolute nth degree. And, like, this is something I remember I was talking to uh, Mike Prendergast about uh, when he was at Racing before he came back and joined Munster, that... You know, he'd be in a team meeting with the likes of Teddy Tama and Gail Fiku and he's shown clips of like Hugo Keenan and what like the Ireland attack and his role. So this is what happens, like people study you. So the, the challenge for this Ireland team, for Andy Farrell, for Mike Cat in terms of his attack is evolving. I think Ireland stood still in 2019 and, you know, that England game was so, so damaging like that the wheels came off. But I agree that there's no sense um, about this Ireland team because I don't think there's any sense of complacency. I still think Andy Farrell is keeping guys in his toes like dropping Joey Carberry was a bombshell yeah. and that 
sends out a message to guys who not necessarily in the starting 15 but in the fringes like let's not forget like Joey Carberry was a key part of Ireland's first choice 23s and drop him at this stage I think really sends out a message and that's something we've seen from Farrell I think over the last kind of maybe 12 months I think you know he spent so much of his early reign kind of building up Camp Ireland again and making it a more relaxed environment but I think he's bared his teeth a little bit over the last while um, you think about the amount of guys who got dropped after that Ireland A game against November, in November against the, the All Blacks 15 um, and even you know the, the Ulster players like a, a raft of them I know they weren't playing well but they looked like they were going to be a key part of this World Cup cycle so I think he's been a bit rootless as well and that's no no harm at all because it keeps everyone on their toes and that said Matt as, as like I completely agree with Keane there but just looking at we don't have the Ireland team yet and we're looking at the probable team and there's actually very few positions to play for and say if Robbie Henshaw was fit there'd be even one less you know you're probably talking about possibly a place in the wing and that's only because James Lowe hasn't had much rugby you're 12 obviously we've talked about to death and then it's maybe a back row place it's an incredibly settled team that Ireland have It's it, but it's probably a good thing for a team that it's going to be very hard to get into that team so say if you're Jamie Osborne maybe that chance will come over the course of the Six Nations it might even come this weekend but you don't just automatically get your chance. It's going to be a team that you have to fight your way into. Yeah, and that's exactly what every coach wants. You want internal competition. Uh, but I, I think what's happened to Ireland at, at past World Cups is that when there's been a crucial injury, that the second tier has not been given the opportunity or prepared uh, for that for that giant step up. You know, I always use the example of of uh, New Zealand when they won the World Cup. You know, there was their number three uh, out half that kicked the goal that won it. Dan Carter was injured. Aaron Cruden was injured. That They had to rely on their number three guy to win a World Cup. You need depth in positions at World Cup, at World Cups. And it's still the only position we haven't got that in reality is behind Sexton, who's one of the greatest of all time. So, you know, it's hard to compare. But in, in other positions... Besides that first 15, it's a dogfight. It's people fighting to get into that, mm. and that's exactly what a coach wants. So that when you're given that opportunity, you, t- you, you know you got to, you know you've got to take it. And again, uh, Joey Carberry, there's the there's the message. We give you not so many opportunities, but if you don't take them, bang, you're gone. We're going to give someone else that opportunity. And that's look, it, you know, the loyalty is not to the player. The loyalty is to the jersey. Coaching his selections has to be loyal to the jersey, not the player. And if the players perform, they know that they'll get they'll get the coach's loyalty. If you don't perform, you know you're putting your the coach and the selectors under pressure for their loyalty, which has to be to the jersey and not the individual. And I think Andy Farrell has managed that dilemma of keeping the spirit in the team and the ethos of the team that he has done so well. Look, they talk players like Peter Armani talk how much they've enjoyed being in camp and being with the team under under Farrell, but also that edge of ruthlessness that it's still about high performance. Um, and, and I think the balance, again, from what we're seeing is good. I couldn't agree more, actually, and I think it's a really good point that Matt makes. I think Andy Farrell has really pushed the, the wider squad and the, the, the inner squad as well out of their comfort zone. Like, I mean, I was down in New Zealand last summer and talking to like lots of locals and stuff. They thought they were, Ireland were mad taking on the, the Maoris in, two, in an extra two games as well as three tests. And look how that turned out. 
you think back to taking on the All Blacks 15 in, at the start of November that was adding another game the day before they played South Africa which the Ireland coaches were actually coaching as well so normally they'd be doing whatever they're doing with their routine the night before a game but no they were at the RDS and then you look at the Emerging Ireland Tour which got a lot of criticism as well but now you've got like Jamie Osborne was on that yeah. Kian Prendergast was on that Jack Crowley was on that and now all of a sudden they're really realistic options in the Six Nations squad and beyond. So that's been a key part of what Andy Farrell has looked to done, like looked to do. Like I said, he for the first couple of years he kind of let everyone settle in, and then bang, he upped the intensity, uh, pushed guys out of a comfort zone. And Ireland reaped the rewards of that last year. And like I said, the challenge now is to push on, and they look like they're in a good place to do it. You'd have to say. What about the couple of selections then? Osborne is the one that we've all talked about, but I suppose one more time before the team is named. <laughs> Um, would you throw him in? Like, I mean, the options is we don't know what kind of form Bundiaki is in because he hasn't played much rugby. We're probably going to be in that situation with Sexton, Furlong and James Lowe if he's picked. So do you really want the fourth person that hasn't been kind of in there? And then you've got like Stuart McCluskey obviously as well who kind of has the jersey from November yeah he does he, he, he does and I would say um, just about my, my sense is definitely that uh, Stuart McCluskey is going to start okay. and if that's the case I would expect fully expect Bundiaki to be wearing a number 23 jersey like Jamie Osborne is a really interesting case and I was actually just reading um, Johnny Sexton was doing press earlier and like my god like the praise he was giving him saying that he was one of the, he's one of the most talented uh, people he's ever seen come through the Leinster system that the first day he laid eyes on him, he was telling Leo Cullen in Stuart Lancaster, this guy is going to be the cornerstone of the Leinster backline. Said something similar to Andy Farrell. Like, that is seriously high praise. So uh, his time will come, I think. But um, yeah, my sense is definitely that Stuart McCloskey will will start. And Look, Sorry, can I just come in on that? And, and uh, why do we wait then? Like if this guy is 21, like, and I don't mean, it, no comparison to Brian Driscoll, but Brian Driscoll was 21 when he scored the hat-trick in France. Ireland wasn't in a good position internationally in rugby sense as they are now absolutely but if this guy is give, if Sexton's talking about this guy this way I've heard countless other people say like just in, in throwaway comments about this guy well, before we were even talking about the Ireland squad where they're like God I haven't seen a guy like this in a long time I'm so excited to watch him you know mm-hmm. why not it, and again it's not devaluing the Six Nations or anything like that but why not like see what he has because what happens if he is another yeah, right. like, <laughs> you know, yeah, we don't like, want to waste a couple of years. Like, I, I, like, I think the first point you'd say is he's only played a handful of Champions Cup games yeah. and like elite, like top level games. He's looked really good at URC level, but the, the gap is enormous, really, to test rugby. And also, you'd have to say, you know, Robbie Henshaw is obviously out injured, like you said, but he's got two guys like who are yeah. world class, really. Like, and you know, Stuart McCloskey, I thought was going really well against the Springboks last November. And, you know, he picked up that injury. It was unfortunate, but it made a miraculous recovery. Um, Ireland didn't really click at all in that Fiji game. And the Australia game, I thought, you know, he was good, but it, it passed him by a little bit. And Bundiaki came on and he made a big impact. So, like, you've got two guys who are playing well and Ulster haven't been going well but Stuart McCloskey has been kind of the one shining light within that so like, I think if, if you weren't so stacked with, with potential you could reasonably say oh like, like let's throw Jamie Osborne and see what he's doing you're also going away to Cardiff if it doesn't go well like I mean that can, that can haunt a, a young yeah. player as well so I don't think there's any need I think you know it goes back to the point that myself and Matt I think we're both making that you know Andy Farrell has created such a competitive environment that you have to earn it he's made such a, a point Andy Farrell and he said this on record that he doesn't hand out cheap caps mm. so I think that that comes into the equation here if, if Jamie Osborne had been playing even more regularly in the Champions Cup last season maybe you'd have seen it but I mean getting a man to match performance away to Gloucester is really good but I mean going away to yeah. the, the Millennium Stadium or Principality Stadium in Cardiff is a very very different level and I don't think there's a huge need to rush him I think the Italy game could be a chance to 
to give him some game time and let's see how he goes there but like Ireland are stacked at number 12 like Robbie Henshaw is not too far from coming back as well yeah. and I still think he's Ireland's best uh, 12 so there's pretty good options there ahead of Jamie Osborne but I definitely think his time is coming I suppose the counterpoint to that Matt might be that you know we know that we what we have in Henshaw Ringrose and Aki God only knows how many caps the three of them have together and there is this opportunity to see what the other side might be where do you stand on it? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, part of me w- would would say pick him if Sexton plays. I think there's a his the chances of Osborne playing jump significantly because of uh, the link he has with Sexton, and then he he'll have Ringrose on one side and Sexton on the other. It's a very very a uh, uh, couple of very senior players, great looters. He'd be comfortable around that. Not that he's not comfortable with Ross Byrne, if Ross Byrne started, but I, 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 I think it all depends on where Bundiaki is. If Bundiaki, knowing that Bundy missed most, you know, November with his uh, red card down in South Africa, I, I think the need to get Bundiaki back playing is also very important for the future of, of the national team. So if, if at camp, Bundiaki has shown that he's enthusiastic, like I'm sure he always is. He's a great character of a man. But his form is good and he's, he hasn't lost anything by not getting the starts with, with Connor. I think they'll start him. I would have no problems with starting Osborne, except I would agree that, in my experience, um, the, the Millennium Stadium, is, is, as we tend to call it now, the Principality, it, it's one of the hardest, if not the hardest, places for a young guy to start simply because of the noise of the place. The, the, the volume of noise, of noise in Cardiff is far beyond any other stadium I've ever been in. I remember being out warming up on the pitch with the players, and it was like being at a concert when the bass goes through your chest, where you can feel that bass smacking through your chest. And I remember we had four <laughs> or five new caps that day, and I just looked at them, and they were gone. They were, they were emotionally shot before kickoff. The volume of noise is extraordinary. Everyone has to go through that on your first day. And Osborne is the future of Irish rugby. He's going to be there between the next this World Cup 2023 and the next one in Australia. He is the future of Irish attacking that back line. So he's going to do it one day. Maybe not this this tournament. If he's picked, I'd have no problems. But I don't think they will pick him. As a matter of interest, Matt, did any of those guys kind of uh, come back to, um, I don't know, I suppose play to their potential in later caps or did anybody more importantly I suppose not be affected by the bright lights and the noise and one guy kind of shunned through and let it all pass him by and turns out he went on to be the <laughs> you know the next star Chrissy Cusseter uh, was started that day and he, okay. he played he played he had a long and wonderful yeah. career you know he was good Todd Blackadder was the assistant coach and we're out there and, he, and at a certain point he looked at me and he just said mate we're in serious trouble <laughs> <laughs> They were gone. They were emotionally gone. And look, it is it is a very, very intimidating joint. And if you're not mentally exceptionally strong, you'll get done there. And and Irish teams for many, many years uh, have underestimated the Welsh because their provincial teams play so poorly. But when when they come together as a national team, and especially in Cardiff, they're, they're a very, very hard team to beat. And Gatlin, you know, he, he's, he's the... The, the leader coming from, you know, that's been called back, the mythical leader, the Obi-Wan, Ben Kenobi, lead, coming back to 
to bring the force <laughs> back to the to the valleys. You know, they, they believe in the guy, and this is not yeah. going to be a pushover. You know, this this is people who start thinking this is going to go out. You know, I don't think the future of Welsh rugby, looking at that that uh, team that they've selected, is is particularly healthy. No. There's a lot of aging old warriors in there, but they're great old warriors. But you know, the first time they're back. Uh, th- th- this this is not going to be just a cakewalk for Ireland. They're, they're going to come out and want to prove something in a week that has been horrific for Welsh rugby. Yeah. So, so this is not going to be a cakewalk. I think that's the other part that Farrell might look at and say, listen, we need old dog for a hard road. Let's get out and beat these buggers because we know we've got France next week. Give Bundy another run at 12 before he fronts up against the best back line, one of the or one of the best back lines in the world because Cardiff is not an easy joint to go. Yeah, and we'll talk about the the, the Welsh team in, in a second, but definitely potential backlash there. Any other um, kind of selection? Like the, the, the guys were talking about the back row back there, like as maybe Conan coming in, but I can't see it being Nada, Matney, Van der Fleer and, and Doris. It's probably the bench is the only questions, really. Yeah, I, I would be shocked. Um, like I said, I think the team is going to be pretty similar to what we saw last November, obviously with Johnny Sexton coming back in. Like someone else was talking to me about this earlier in the week. I don't see the back row for this, particularly for this weekend, being a, a debate whatsoever. I think Peter O'Man, he's been playing really well for, for Ireland over the last while. He was so important to that series win down in New Zealand. Josh van der Fleer picks himself and Caelan Doris, in my opinion, is far better at number eight. I know the Leinster system and the Ireland system allows him to you know, do a lot of the roles when he's playing six as an eight, but I think he's far more effective um, at number eight. And I don't think Jack Conan has been at his best, I think, for the, la- for the last while, really. And, you know, I think he could come under pressure on the bench for maybe his spot from someone like Ryan Baird, who's been unbelievable for Leinster. Yeah. Leinster have started to pick him ahead of Jack Conan for some of the Champions Cup games as well. So I think the team picks itself, but like in not in a complacent way. I think like anyone who's going to start this weekend has earned the right to on the back of an unbelievably successful last year but there are a couple of spots on the bench I mean do you go with the experience of Keane Healy or do you go with Dave Kilcoyne who's been uh, playing really well for Munster he gives you a bit of an explosive option off the bench or do you want the solidity that Keane Healy will give you at the scrum um, like I said Ian Henderson will he be will he be fit I think if Ian Henderson is past fit with his HIA he'll be covering Locke um, Ryan Baird or Jack Conan and obviously the out half uh, sub out half is mm. the big one Jack Crowley or Ross Byrne it seems to be reading between the lines that Andy Farrell might be tempted to go with Ross Byrne. Personally, I would actually like to see Jack Crowley there. I think, you know, the, the makeup of the bench will depend on, like, again, I'd be surprised if Bundy Aki is at number 23. And, you know, a lot of coaches prefer to go for someone who can play multi-positions wearing that number 23 jersey. But Andy Farrell has tended to go with one of his centres because, obviously, Ringrose, Henshaw and Aki can't all play at the same time. And now you have Stuart McCloskey. So he's tended to go with one of them yeah. on the bench, which is interesting. Because and what's that? that that's Ringrose? then covers the back three yeah that's it it. like that's it or the wings anyway Yeah, he covers the wing and like he did it effectively for Leinster um, a few months ago but it's obviously not ideal whereas if you had someone like Jack Crowley on the bench then he can cover centre but he can also cover full back as well now albeit we have the same conversation about going away to the Millennium Stadium for a young guy but he's played two tests for Ireland at the the back end of November as well so if you have Ross Byrne on the bench he's pretty limited in terms of his versatility as well so there's lots of things I think to think about for Andy Farrell on the bench and as we know the bench has become more important than than ever before so yeah it'll be fascinating yeah and Casey or Murray 
Yeah, sorry, that's another one. Yeah, like, I have a feeling he might go for Conor Murray. I think Andy Farrell has been a pretty loyal selector. I think that that selection will tell a lot about the direction of his team. Um, Casey's been playing, obviously, and being picked ahead of Conor Murray, and Conor Murray not being in the the Munster 23 for that Northampton game a few weeks yeah. ago and Keith Earls was a real like a shock, real shock it, yeah. and a real a real kick kind of like the Carberry call yeah, in like, a way for a, Munster and a real kick it, in yeah. the ass for him as well but I think you know players can be out of form not necessarily out of form but not necessarily being picked like you go back to the James and Gibson Park selection like mm. no, no one saw him becoming so important to Ireland particularly because he was the backup to, to Luke McGrath so Andy Farrell tends to be loyal and more times than not his players tend to deliver but that is a very tight call I think Craig Casey could, could have huge claims to be to be the backup but going away to Wales like given the, the type of traditional game you're probably going to be expecting having Conor Murray's experience to come off the bench I think could be important but I'd have no issue at all with Craig Casey either yeah, Matt. The bench for like a Six Nations like this, without always kind of bringing it onto the World Cup, it is the place where somebody might emerge, you know, and and like you know that eight months down the line, you know, Ryan Bird has a really good Six Nations starting from the bench. Craig Casey, Crowley, whoever it might be, is there anyone there that you kind of like to see um, that might be a little bit off um, outside of what we're expecting? Well, I, I think you've covered it all pretty well. I certainly think. Ryan Baird has got a very strong case to replace Conan. Um, he has been quite exceptional, and he he covers a number of positions. Also allows, uh, you know, the, the use of of uh, uh, Henderson. You know, I believe that Henderson should be there, uh, but you've also then got the option of moving uh, Todd Byrne into into flanker at certain times, and you, you know what that does for Byrne. What I like about that uh, is it, it just opens him up for the breakdown. He gets much more opportunity to become the jackal, and he's and he's fantastic at that. He's one of the best in the world at it. There's a look. This is we could talk for an hour because that, there are so many options. Like Keith Earls at 23. Yeah. Keith Earls covers yeah. outside centre and the back the back three. And you know Earls he's just he's loved by by the national team. Now I know he's out of form, and I know Conor Murray's out of form, but I still think they'll get picked. But this is exactly what Farrell wants. Farrell wants those guys at training in a dogfight, proving to, to the teammates to and to the coaches that they deserve the shot. And it is, you know what? It's great for the Irish team. This is so good for the Irish team because rarely has Ireland have that, have that position. Ireland you know, usually has 18, 19, 20 players, and there's a couple of others that get in there that – maybe shouldn't have been. This is in, in, I'm talking 10, 12 years ago. Now, that's not the case. There is there is 35, 37, 38 players that could really stand up and, and do a good job for Ireland. So, it, but it's also very important because when you look at the power of the French bench, which, you know, uh, depending what Galtier done, he's, he's tended to pick um, six forwards and, and only two backs. You, you know, that's what you've got to match. You've got to match the power of the English bench, the South African bench. That's what you're up against in, in you know, eight months, nine months' time. So the, the bench is not just, oh, who's, let's make up the numbers here. The bench is crucial going forward. But it's also a way where you can give players like Ryan Baird, yeah. who have earned a shot, you can give them a bit of time without really exposing them uh, and the team to, to if it's too much for them. But I think Baird's... The, the one that's got the most uh, the most runs on the, on the board to to challenge for Conan's position. 
Okay, great stuff. We've uh, five other teams to talk about, and we will get to them, in particular Wales. Uh, we'll just take a very quick break first. Uh, rugby on Off the Ball is with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Keen Tracy and Matt Williams come back after these. Wednesday Night Rugby on Off the Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Very welcome back. I've got uh, Keen Tracy and Matt Williams with us talking about the first weekend of the Six Nations. Um, we've talked about Ireland, obviously. Uh, they get off, um, they get the tournament off uh, at the Principality Stadium. Sorry, I was going to say Millennium Stadium. Uh, quarter past Still the Millennium Stadium, really. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> it, it always will be. Uh, quarter past two on um, Saturday, uh, followed by England, Scotland uh, at Twickenham at 4.45. And then on Sunday, we've got Italy and France at three o'clock. Matt, Wales. <laughs> so as a coach, you understand what a coach can bring to a setup. But there is a part of me that thinks all of this talk about Warren Gatlin coming back, he's not a magician. Wayne Pivak wasn't an idiot. What's happened in the last 12 months in Wales has been an utter collapse. There will be improvement. But from the team named, from everything we've seen in Wales for the last 12 months, are we really to believe that this is suddenly going to be a contender? Or is that just Irish fear because we're used to going over to Cardiff and them surprising us? Or Wales are Wales and they tend to go and win championships out of nowhere? Well, the Welsh believe it's their birthright to win the championship. You know, that's, yeah. you know, and we've got to say, Gatlin's won. I got told a stat the other day that I haven't checked, but I got told he personally has won more championships than Ireland's won. Now, I... I, I, I Oh, that came from a great source. I haven't checked that. We'll look that up. Yeah. Now, let, let's give Gatlin his credit. Um, sacked by Ireland, European Cup with Wasps, multiple Six Nations Championships and Grand Slams, long, successful Lions Tour, and, and a disastrous Lions Tour. But Gatlin's relationship with the Welsh is very special. It, it, it's like one of these... You, you know, great old American basketball coaches that where players turn up and they just believe in the in the guy, and that's what Wales does. I do not believe that Wales, that Gatlin has a magic wand, and Wales are um, going to turn into a championship winning side. That's that's not my my belief. That is a, a as I said before, you look at that team. It's a good Welsh team, but it's an old Welsh team. They're not going to be able to sustain 10, 12 games in a row, but on the first day, in, a, it, in the end of an absolutely horrific week for Welsh rugby, where I, I wouldn't even want to mention the, the allegations and no. and things have been said. It's just it's just been so awful and and horrid to to, to listen to. The the nation, the Welsh nation, screaming out for a performance, and Gatlin is going to use that as motivation, and they are going to be singing their hearts out. They're going to come back. And that team does believe in Warren Gatlin. So, and it's Ireland's bad luck to get them first up. Yeah. They will come out. There will be an emotional response and there will be a definite change. I feel very sorry for Wayne Pivak, exactly like I, I feel sorry for Dave Rennie in Australia. And Eddie Jones has come back into Australia in much the same fanfare that Gatlin has. He's been rolled out in front of the media. We're all saved Eddie's home. Now, Eddie's a fantastic coach, but that's not going to solve the systemic problems in Australian rugby, nor is Gatlin going to solve immediately the systemic problems in Welsh rugby. 
and we are starting to see the problems that their provinces aren't performing, the people aren't going to games, the people have stopped playing the games, really similar problems to Australia. And, and Welsh rugby is in for a torrid time over the next five or six years. But on Saturday for 80 minutes, they're going to cause Ireland a yeah. lot of problems. I, <laughs> you've confirmed all our fears anyway, Matt, yeah. So <laughs> but, Keen, their team is like, in some ways you look at it and it's mad, but I think it actually points to the exact problem, the systemic problem that Matt's talking about because they've got a lot of old guys and a lot of young guys and kind of nothing in between. I was just looking at this earlier, right? If you take, right, there's six of the team and a further three on the bench, so nine out of the 23 are 32 or older. So that's half many, 34, Dan Bigger, 33, Ken Owens, 36, Alan jones 37, Tipperick, 33, Falatau, 32, and then on the bench you've got Baldwin, 34, Reese Webb back from like the dead I don't know you know where's he been 34 Alex Cooper 32 like George North is in there as a very old 30 year old I would say as well you know who's been around an awful long time that's um, so that's 9 out of the 23 what I would consider like 25 to 30 year olds maybe the traditional prime they've got 6 of them in their 23 if you look at the, what Ireland will have in their likely 23 and this could give or take a few you know given we haven't picked the team yet you're probably looking at 13 of the of between twenty five and thirty year olds, it's it's like they've missed a generation. You've got kind of um, like Thomas Williams, Josh Adams, George North, Gareth Thomas, and Francis uh, Dylan Lewis on the bench. They're the only guys that are in that sort of. Mm-hmm. And and other than North and Josh Adams, really, are any of those guys, you know, world beaters? Whereas with Ireland, it's their best players outside of Sexton are at that age. They've missed a generation completely. Yeah, like, I mean, if this team was picked six or seven years ago, barring a couple of the younger guys that he has picked, you wouldn't have been surprised at all. So, look, I think Gatland is probably in, well, he is in a tricky position in that, like, he's under enormous pressure to turn this around by the time the World Cup comes around. And I think, you know, Ireland and Wales are going into the Six Nations with very very different aspirations. I don't think Wales, I would probably be honest enough to to say that, like, winning the title is probably not on their to-do list. It's about peaking at the World Cup now. Obviously, Ireland would love to do that too, but um, Gatlin's, I, th- I think, his back is against the wall a little bit and what choices he have. Like you said, they probably yeah. they have missed a generation of players. It's not like he's left out a load of guys who are coming in, you know, banging down the door. And But even still, like, you know, guys like Lee Halfpenny and, like you know, you mentioned George North, they're still persistent with playing him at, at outside centre, which I've never really thought yeah. that that was his best position. So he'd probably argue that, you know, over the last couple of years that the development hasn't been made, but it's just such a Gatlin type team. You know what you're going to get with it. It's going to be set piece heavy. But, you know, for all the, if you'd want to say flaws, because I like to remember, like, these guys are kind of at the opposite end of their, their career to, you know, where they'd like to be. But they've got a lot of experience, and like guys like Falatau and Tipperick are still very, very yeah, capable. They're not over the hill. They're just not because over the hill, and they're, age, and they're yeah, very capable. Exactly. And they're bringing a guy like Jack Morgan into the into the back row, who they rate very highly in Wales. He's been outstanding um, in the URC this season, so he is trying to sprinkle a couple of the talent in. You know, you've got Joe Hawkins playing in the centre and Rio Dyer on the wing. But I think the flip side of that is that you know having Johnny Sexton at ten, particularly with those two backs. Um, there's no one better at picking out weakness in, mm. in an opposition team. And I would imagine that they, those two in particular, Rio, Rio Dyer in the left wing and Joe Hawkins at 12, like Ireland's attack is so sophisticated at the moment that it's it, they're so good at picking out weak points. And I'd imagine that they'll go straight after them. And it was interesting, you know, Gatlin named, it was supposed to be naming his team tomorrow on Thursday, but he named it on Tuesday. And, you know, I'd say that was probably a two-pronged approach. Matt kind of touched on what a dire week it's been for Welsh rugby off the pitch. And I'd say, you know, the Welsh Rugby Union were delighted 
decided that Gatlin decided to go early because at least now we're talking about the Welsh team two days yeah. early rather than the kind of the off-field stuff and we shouldn't gloss over the off-field stuff as well like it's it's really really damaging to, to the sport but it also lays down a marker South Africa tend to do this as well they named their team really early and it's a bit like well here's our hand you know mm-hmm. what, what have you got so um, it's interesting you know Warren Gatling w- was sort of edging towards the mind games I would say yesterday in his press conference saying about you know all the pressures on Ireland that they're number one ranked team in the world but I think you know this was the same at the launch kind of last week over in London the Six Nations launch I think he's wary of you know, I don't think any grenades are going to really work on Andy Farrell. He knows him so well. And even if he did, I just don't think Andy Farrell is the type of coach to to bite. Now, it was always enjoyable from a media point of view because I, I always thought Gatlin got under Joe Schmidt's skin uh, quite a bit. You know, whether it was, you know, playing mind games about the roof, will it be open, will it be closed? Mm. All the things that Joe Schmidt used to really fret about. But Andy Farrell is much more, I'd say, relaxed. He's confident in where his team is. But I still think this Wales team, Matt's right. It's in like it's not a good time to get them first up yeah. in Cardiff. Yeah, they'll run out of steam, but that doesn't but mean that this team up. can't get there. And, and you know, we talked about week, like yeah. kind of again from an Irish point of view, like playing Wales first up. That's not. I would say that's no gimme in terms of a victory. And then you're playing France next week, and all of a sudden, you know, Ireland's year <laughs> could look very different after the first two weeks of the Six Nations. It really could, though. Like it's Matt's right. Like Matt mentioned at the start of the conversation. The, the margins between the top teams in rugby at the moment are so, so fine. That's why I just don't think anyone, particularly from an Irish point of view, is reading too much into the fact that Ireland are the number one ranked team in the world. France are still the team to beat yeah. in the Six Nations. They're going to be the favourites for a home World Cup. Um, so yeah, like it just, it, it tees it up really nicely. But there are still weaknesses, I think, in this Wales team that Ireland will, will I, I think that they'll have joy in exploiting that mm. in. Joe Hawkins was our um, uh, Tom Shanklin was on OTBAM mm-hmm. this morning and he was talking about Joe Hawkins being picked at 12 Matt as a you know a more of a ball playing 12 and it shows that maybe Warren Ball might be a thing of the past and we might be looking to go wide I just wonder how that correlates to going back to Lee Halfpenny at full back like are, can those two things exist at the same time yeah um, I, I just can't see Gaddy with the short period of time he's had with the team, um, changing changing away from from what was a ball, you know, I, I just just can't see even if he wants to, and and he's probably learned a whole lot of lessons from that line. Still, so Warren's a very intelligent dude, not and I you know look, he's he's poorly portrayed in Ireland. He's a very nice guy. He does he's a very funny dude at uh, press conferences. He's got a wicked sense of humour, but he's a he's a gentleman. Right, but apart from that, he's also smart. So he's learned from that Lions tour. But he knows, okay, what can I do? Can I bring in a radical, a radical change, or with my old Warriors, can we go back to what we did with maybe some changes, but stick around to what we have, what we know we can do, and we what we know Ireland don't like. Now, what has changed from the Irish point of view? Ireland's defence is superb. It's, it's just you saw it against New Zealand, saw it against South Africa, and we saw it against Australia where they forced Australia back. Australia in the, in the Irish 22 there, beginning of the second half for a considerable period of time, and, and Ireland actually forced made them retreat up the field. But I don't think that, that Gaddy has the time or the resources to really change the way Wales are, play, or Wales are playing outrageously. So I think we'll get what we'll get. But... If Wales do it well enough, uh, and they, they certainly know how to do it, they've got about 10 years' practice at it, they, um, they, they'll still cause some problems. But I can't see them being 
you know, this wonderfully expansive flowing team, I think they're going to be quite quite abrasive and quite attritious. And, you know, if he gets a knighthood, it'll be the services to insomnia because it's a boring way of playing. <laughs> but I, I, that's the point. I think the jury is still out if he has learned from that Lions tour because, like, he went back to New Zealand with the Chiefs and it was an utter disaster. So he's coming back in and, you know, he's picking the same kind of guys and you look at the coaching staff that he's got in. He wanted Rob Howley to come back as the attack coach. And, like, people have really short memories I mean when Gatland was appointed like you know a lot of the Welsh public were like hailing as you know like Matt said the Messiah is back but like a lot of Welsh people were fed up of Warren Ball over the years and all of a sudden people seem to have forgotten about that they've forgotten about how bad that Lions tour was so I would say the jury is still very much out and can you teach an old dog new tricks I mean Warren Gatland is well down the the road in terms of his career so I think it'll be interesting to see if he has because I think the game has moved on from that type of game Yeah and there comes a time when the game passes by everybody it's not to say that yet with, with Gatland we don't know but it could be you know it's um, you both you both think Ireland will win this I mean Keane you definitely seem very unsure it's a, it's a way in Wales like it's not something yeah, that we automatically can decide we're going to win this game Ireland haven't yeah. won in the Principality Stadium um, get it right since 2013 in the Six Nations they've had a couple of World Cup warm-up games which are meaningless obviously like I don't think Joe Schmidt ever won there in the Six Nations like that shows you how tough it is so there is always trepidation but if you're looking at it like in black and white then this Ireland team are far more further down the line than um, than Wales are and they're justifiably I would say strong enough favourites and they should win but I just don't think you can take anything for granted going to going to Wales and like I said with France to come next up then like it's very tough opening two weeks for Ireland we could be sitting here in, in three weeks time with a very different kind of narrative you know 2019 all, all over again have fallen off. <laughs> <laughs> Matt you think they'll do it? Uh, everyone in the world thinks Ireland should win and you know that they're that's a red pick, flag. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you pick the combined side, who'd get in from Wales? Jeez, I don't, no, no one, I don't think. You know, the, I, I, and Ireland are playing great rugby. They've got, they've got the runs on the board. They've got a great form. Wales have none of that. But it's still not going to be easy. Cardiff is never easy. Uh, and with Gatlin back, there'll be, and the week they've had, there'll be this massive emotional response. So I think, I think Ireland can win and should win. But this this is not the first the first twenty five minutes are going to be exceptionally important. If if, I, if Wales get a couple of scores, it's a really tough day. But I, I think Ireland should win. Okay, um, we'll see what happens. Uh, it's the first game up on Saturday. The second game up, and we don't have as much time as I'd like to because, um, as usual, we've run out of it by talking about Ireland. But uh, England Scotland keen. Like, if we don't know what to expect for Wales, you could probably double that for England. You know, like, there is, like, even... It's funny, you lose players like Slade and Laws this week and you see us coming in. They just have an endless amount of players. They'll be fine in that regard, but we just don't know. It's a new coach. They were a mess in November. They got rid of it, you know, in much the same way as Wales. What are they going to do with Farrell and Smith? Also, Scotland will just... You know, Scotland haven't... I think they, England have beaten them once since 2017. Mm. Scotland, like that becomes a thing after a while and you just start to believe that you can win and they'll go down to Twickenham with all the confidence in the world. They probably won't win another match of the Six Nations though in Scotland, but they'll believe they can win this week. Yeah, absolutely. Like England, I suppose, like Borthwick is in a different position, I would say, to Warren Gatland in that he has far better players to, to pick from yeah. than Warren Gatland does. Um, but like, I don't think Borthwick is going to go in and kind of rip it up. Like, I mean, it's you can't go in and just, you know, say, oh, we're going to do everything new, especially at this stage. So, um 
it's interesting just reading the English media today. It sounds like they're going to play Smith at 10 and Farrell, Mark Smith at 10 and Owen Farrell at 12, which I would say if you did a straw poll amongst English supporters and probably maybe most rugby supporters, they would tell you that that just has not worked. And maybe that would be down to a consequence of missing players like Slade and things like that. Because I would, I was really like sure that Borthwick would go with Farrell at 10. Yeah. If you look at the, the way his Leicester team played, it was real, you know, kick heavy, set piece, you know, dominated. Um, and Farrell is like so good at that and making that kind of game plan work that's not Marcus Smith's game at all but interestingly you've got Nick Evans uh, Harlequin's attack coach has come in which like I think it's going to be fascinating to see how like how much of an impact Nick Evans can have over this England team because I would say himself and Steve Bort with the way they see the game and I could be wrong now but this I'd say it'd be chalk and cheese um, we saw the way Harlequin's played um with Nick, Nick Evans at a, as attack coach when they won the Premiership now that's very difficult to translate that type of rugby and Wayne Pivak found that out because that Harlequin style of play and the Scarlet style of play which Wayne Pivak won the Pro 14 with um, was similar but it didn't translate at all to test level so maybe Nick Evans is having more of a say than he's getting Marcus yeah. Smith to play 10 this weekend so that'll be very interesting because I still I would expect England to go back to basics and when England go back to basics and you know they focus on their set piece what they're good at they're bloody tough to beat as well so um, they're in a different place like I said to Warren Gatlin but Scotland you know, are coming into it and they don't have any fear mm. um, at all maybe that they'd use it Finn Russell has been playing reasonably well he's on good footing at the moment for uh, with Gregor Townsend which it sounds like it's going to be his last Six Nations as well that adds another kind of layer of intrigue to it and then of course you're kind of fascinated to see if Ben Healy gets yeah. a shot and maybe John Cooney later in it so no shortage of talking points no, absolutely not, Matt. The 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 Smith um, Farrell thing, and before that, it was Ford and Farrell. Like it comes to a point that so like not that you say you can't play a ten or twelve, but at some point, like make a decision. And also, you know, the bench as we talked about already on the show is such an important thing. Like you know, you could have somebody like Marcus Smith coming on after fifty five, sixty minutes and completely change the way you play, and that's a weapon in itself. But it's like England are just loath to use it and just like don't want to make a decision between the two. Yeah, it's it's very strange because as Kim mentioned, when I watch Smith play with Harlequins, he plays flat, he hits the line, he's aggressive, and he is quite superb. And at international level he has been so deep that he has nullified his his backline's attack completely. He's been horrific. And Evans coming in may uh, may be able to help that. Now, it's a very different game from club to international. It's a totally different uh, uh, way of playing the game because the time is so, your time is so limited. But that's the key for England because if you have Farrell at, at 12, it's what we call the, the New Zealand second five, second five out a second distributor. Now, that's traditionally what Eddie Jones was brought up with playing with Randwick. It's a very Australian way of playing as well that where you have – yeah, you, you have an out half or a five out as a column in Australia. You're inside centre as a distributor. The Kiwis call them second fives. But there's no point doing that. Like Against Argentina, Smith got the ball about 15 metres behind the line out, took two steps and passed to Farrell. So Farrell had the seven, the 10 and the 12 running at him. Like it, it was horrific. The back line couldn't attack. So there's a lot if, – if they play Smith, there is a lot of work to be done on Marcus Smith's play at international level. Evans may be the answer. Borthwick is only out of that English side. Remember, he was assistant coach to Eddie two seasons ago. I think, I think it was he's had two seasons out. Now, he understands the system. He understands what Eddie put in place, and he knows what he thought of it. And, and Eddie 
like so many of his assistant coaches, Eddie, he burnt, got burnt by Eddie. He got worked into the ground and he got out, made a success for himself. I think England will be a much better side um, now. I do, I do believe they needed a breath of fresh air, new relationships, and I think Borthwick, if he listens to Evans, will could be a great combination. Because Borthwick is a brilliant set-piece coach. He's a brilliant set-piece coach, and that is England's strength. They like the military. They play with that, that military mind. But if he can get an attack coming off that with Smith nice and deep, put him, uh, flat rather, putting pressure on the attack, they've got a lot of talent across that team that they can they can harness. So I, I think it's, it's going to be a very, very interesting game um, yeah. from that point of view, simply because we don't know what England are going to, going to bring to the table. And funnily enough, if they do win at Twickenham this week and then they play Italy the following week and then you know they're going in with a bit of momentum, they've got a week off... And you could see the more time they spend with that coach in the new camp, the more it becomes Bortwick's team and all that mm-hmm. talent that you talked about that's there, that the better t- players that he has to pick from comes to the fore and England could become a contender for this championship very quickly. Yeah, I think there's actually parallels between Steve Bortwick taking over England and Andy Farrell taking over Ireland in that, you know, we spoke so much about, you know, what happened in 2019. But one of the, the, the most positive things to come out of that in terms of the succession planning with Andy Farrell taking over was that he had a front row seat to see what went wrong. He was yeah. alongside Joe Schmidt. Now, albeit he was part of the coaching staff, but similarly, Steve Bortwick was in the Eddie Jones setup. He saw probably how intense it was, why it wasn't working. So now he goes in there and maybe he releases the pressure valve in a similar way similar way that Andy Farrell did and we've seen the results of that for Ireland and like I said when you have the talent to, to pick from that England do they expect and they've got a decent World Cup draw as well and that will play into their the way they're building too because you know I think similarly that as Wales would they say they're well they probably are going for a Six Nations title but I don't think you know the public as long as there's kind of positive side strides being made and let's face it England are starting from a pretty low base from, yeah. from what happened last year so that shouldn't be too difficult to do and then once the World Cup comes around they should be in a much much better position so England are still going to be really dangerous they're coming here the day after Paddy's Day in the last day of the Six Nations and Six Nations title is on the line for that England coming to town is probably not one you want to be able high on yeah absolutely um, that makes it a very interesting uh, game on Saturday evening because as you said we didn't really talk too much about Scotland but you know their record over England recently has been brilliant they've been some of the highlights of the Six Nations as well as those games they've been class uh, Matt before we go though Sunday's game France are in Rome uh, like so here, here, here's the story with France they had their unbeaten year they've had their Grand Slam their, uh, their injuries are piling up they've got uh, Dante Wokey Villiers uh Muvaka, Gross, Luku, all out. Like, it's an insane in- injury list. Um, you know, there is a sense that they've done, they've had their Grand Slam, they've got over that hump, they've had their incredible year. They could, you know, be, it's reasonable for them to be looking at a home World Cup at this point, not necessarily taking it lightly. But it's also reasonable for be looking at Ireland and their trip to Dublin, you know, in a couple of weeks. And then you see, like, Italy, who there's a chance that, this is an Italy team that I suppose were, you could be excited about for the first time in years. They got over the hump with that win against Wales in the last day last time. They had the win over Australia. They've been scoring incredible tries. They've got a potential superstar in Capo Ozzo. And it's like, is there any chance that like France go from Grand Slam to losing in Rome on Sunday? I always love I've talked it up and there's no chance, isn't there? No, no I always love <laughs> I always love when, when people talk Italy up and, and they say, you know, that's, it's great that they're doing well, 
as long as they don't beat us. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> beat everyone else. As long as, as long as they don't beat us, it's great for the game. Um, look, I, I, I think Italy are in a much better position than they were a year ago. They've got 15 decent players. Unfortunately, they're out half. He's out, so I yeah. think... Uh, Garbisi. Tom, yeah, Garbisi's out, and uh, Thomas Allen will... will uh, Tommaso Allen will start, I imagine. Haven't seen their side. That's not the end of the world. Certainly not the end of the world. He's a, he's a quality player. Uh, but look, the the if, if you talk about depth, France... France have planned 2023. The planning for 2023 started in, in about 2016. And they have, this is, should be a case study for all national teams. So I'm talking to you from Narbonne. Uh, I still, uh, this, later, later this evening, I'll go up and do a bit of coaching with the Centre de Formation, the academy. About 2017, every club got this giant grant to fix up gyms. They started getting this national plan for the World Cup. And then a few years later, Three under-20 tournaments in a row. Out of the three of them, they made the final of all three, won two, lost one. And then the depth of player they've got around France is just extraordinary. And even though they've lost those players, there's so much quality that they can, they can call on to come into that, to, those, uh, to those positions. Now, France have Ireland away and England away. Even if they lose, lose these two games this year, they'll never play another away game all year. So they're at home until the World Cup final. Mm. It, they are a real, and they're the real deal. They are the real deal. Galtier came out and just said, "We're not defending our this championship. We're attacking 2023." That's your mindset. Uh, it, it, he, he, it's 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 a very very interesting team and group of individuals he's put together. I think, for, as I said, whoever whoever wins at the Aviva next Saturday win the championship. I don't know if there's going to be a Grand Slam this year. Could be, but the quality of teams tells me there won't. But whoever wins that will win the championship, in my opinion. Uh, Italy uh, have much improved, but I don't believe a team that still puts out with uh, Intermac at at 10, uh, Dupont at at 9, and the forward pack that they'll put out. Remember, Paul Willemser returns, one of the best second rowers in the world, so he just slots straight in for Wockey. That they they are still going to put out a, um, a twenty three players of immense power and strength and skill. That they are the real deal. Yeah, and Fiku comes in for Dante, and like there's there's just as Matt says, there's just an endless amount of names there and world class players that can just come in. We'll talk more about them next week, but I suppose to your point, Keen, earlier on, it's all very well for the rankings to say that Ireland are number one, but until Ireland beat France. <clears throat> You know, France are the standard bearer at the moment. Like, yeah, and you'd have to remember as well. Obviously, Ireland went down to New Zealand last summer, whereas France went down to Japan and played two tests, but left all the frontliners at home. So that was probably part of their building process towards twenty twenty three as well. So that obviously had an impact on the rankings as well. So yeah, France are absolutely the team to beat. But I think Ireland. It's very important that Ireland get one over. I think on this French team as well particularly because there's a chance they might meet them at the World Cup and if yeah. they were going into that on the back of a couple of defeats I think it could play into their mind and they still have the tools and the cattle I think to hurt Ireland where you know where f- few teams can do it so uh, yeah they're set up really well Like you, you listed off the injuries but then you look at the calibre of players they have coming in and yeah it's, it's, I think it's still hard to see, to see past them to be honest 
Listed off the injuries poorly, I would say. I got about six uh, mispronunciations out of oh, seven I there. Too badly, I yeah. Yeah. Glad you were doing them and not me. And Matt, our crack research team have been on it. Warren Gatland has won four Six Nations titles, the same amount as Ireland. Uh, well, obviously, the Six Nations is only there since 2000. But I would say that uh, Warren has three Grand Slams and Ireland only have two. So, yeah. <laughs> he has also been in charge for most of the era of the Six Nations, he's though. So. Been, he's been there a long time, mate. He, uh, he was he was national coach when I first arrived in Ireland. I yeah, actually yeah. I actually did a couple of games for him as a defence coach, and uh, the, uh, gee, well, I think it was two thousand and one, two thousand two. And he's a good bloke. He's a good guy, but mate, he really holds a grudge against Ireland. He is not happy about what happened at that time. And he will Stabbed do everything that's humanly possible on Saturday to ram it down Irish throats, let me tell you. Yeah, don't we know it? Don't we know it? Matt, uh, brilliant stuff as always. Keen, thanks so much for uh, popping in as well. Uh, really enjoyed the hour. Thanks so much for sticking with us, guys. Uh, rugby on Off the Ball is with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Wednesday Night Rugby on Off the Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us.